Take your Bible, if you would, and join me today in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter number 2. Over the past few weeks, we have been in a little mini-series that we have called Assembly Required. And then we've helped ourselves understand there's something about understanding the fellowship of the saints. And over the last few weeks, we began with the fellowship of the gospel. And that really is where the church begins as this called out assembly. And then we went from there to the communion of the saints. Now this is what the church does. And we talked about those things around which the church can commune. Now remember, we've begun with the fellowship of the gospel, the communion of the saints. And today we find ourselves addressing the matter of the unity of the spirit. Now, these words are all words that, that certainly we have selected, but they are a part of the fabric of the church, the fellowship, the, the communion, the unity. And today, as we look at the unity of the Spirit, we really are addressing the church's power. And apart from the free working of God, the Holy Spirit, in the midst of that called out assembly, we find that we are individuals trying to be fitted together in ways that biblically speaking are quite impossible. The unifying aspect and agent of the Holy Spirit is one of those requirements for this called out assembly. We were looking last week a little bit more closely at Acts chapter 2, verse number 42, and here the Bible says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. Now remember, this happened, this formation of a church, happened as a result of the preaching of the apostle Peter. But his preaching was also the result of something that had happened just before his message. All of these things are sequential. In other words, they have to happen in the right sequence. You can't go directly to the church without the preaching. You, you couldn't have the preaching without the power. So let's look at what happened regarding what Peter needed to do, what was going to be necessary for the assembling of the church. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1, if we backed up a little bit more, Acts chapter 1 beginning in verse number 4, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. Now that's Jesus who is speaking. He's about to ascend to heaven. And then verse number five, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. In other words, Jesus is saying, wait, don't try to go do something that you don't have the resources to do. I would submit to you that today the church still cannot do what God's called us to do without the resources that God has provisioned for the church to do what it's supposed to be doing. Well, I don't know about you, but, but I suppose most of us hate to wait. Jesus told the disciples, I know you're excited about doing something. They'd seen the risen Christ, but wait for the promise of his coming. How many of you have ever been to a surprise birthday party where you were waiting for the guest of honor to arrive? How many of you have ever been in that scenario? Okay, most of us have been. 
So you're there, the lights are off, people are talking. Usually you're a little bit more noisy than, than you want to be if they're coming. And then someone says, you know, they're coming. Well, that's wonderful because the party's about to start. How many of you have ever been to a surprise party where the guest of honor never showed? That's kind of a dud, okay? I mean, you're waiting for the cake to be cut, and you don't cut the cake until the guest of honor arrives. Well, what was happening with the disciples is they're waiting for the guest of honor. There's someone that has to arrive before anything else can happen. The disciples waited, but not in vain. On the day of Pentecost, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse number 4, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, let me also add, so that there was no mistaking about what was being, um, about what Jesus had promised, God accompanies this event with what we would refer to as very special signs, wonders, the miraculous working of his promised Holy Spirit. There was no doubt this is exactly what Jesus was referencing. There would follow some incredible and what we would add unifying marks of this assembly. Churches would expect this to be theirs. And then they should display this as a mark of the power of the Holy Spirit. All this is connected with what we refer to again as the most important person in the room. So when writing to the assembly of the church at Philippi, Paul understood that for this church to experience all that God intended, they must know what it means to have true fellowship that could be held together by only one person, and that's the person of the Holy Spirit. He is the most important person, not just in any room, but whenever the church assembles, the most important person in the room is the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, your Bibles are open right now to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look today at some of those unifying marks of the church when the church is obedient and the Holy Spirit is present in their midst. Philippians chapter 2, let's begin in verse number 1. If there be... Therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now, you may have noticed this already, but Paul uses the word if four times in that brief passage that we just looked at. This is not to say that Paul is questioning these things. In fact, if you think about it again, if there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship in the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, then fulfill ye my joy. He's not saying, hey, listen, I, I hope it's so, but if by chance these things are present, he's not saying that. He's really giving them a gentle reminder that these are things that are to be present in the assembly. He's saying in a sense, like um, we might use it as a phrase, um, listen, if you have two ears in your head, then you should be able to hear. If you have two eyes, you should be able to see. He's making some statement that these are the components that should be part and parcel with the local assembly of believers. So what are these common denominators 
of our unity in the Spirit. If he's the most important person in the room, what are those things that are supposed to be the common denominators of our unity in the Spirit? Well, let's look at them today. The first thing that I'm going to notice is consolation. Consolation. He says, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ. You say, what does that word really mean, consolation? Well, it means encouragement. It means that there's one who is right there by your side. The Greek word for consolation is periklesis. That's the word used here. Sometimes we see iterations of that word used many times throughout Scripture. And this word used to define the person of the Holy Spirit. Hey, if there is any in the church sense of being called alongside one another, this, this, this shared walk, so to speak, the Greek word used to describe the Holy Spirit is seen again all throughout Scripture. For example, John 14, 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another one who's called right by your side. Oh, I know he fills us, but he also walks with us. He shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. We often have others who come alongside they are there during times of difficulty, during challenges along the way. And this is exactly what the Holy Spirit does for every member of his body, the church. Have you ever had someone just show up at just the right time? I mean, it could be just to, to help lend a hand. You're carrying something and someone comes alongside. They says, hey, let me take that. Years ago, um, I, was, uh, I was in college. It was my sophomore year of college. And my minor in college was physical education. So I don't know if this is still a part of what happens at Pensacola Christian College, but back in that day, we had to have a sophomore platform. That means we had to do certain things at a certain level to continue on in our minor of physical education. So one of the things we had to do was our 12-minute run. You had to run a mile and a half in under 12 minutes. Now, again, I don't know if you still have to do that. I hope you do because I had to do it. But, um, but it was one of those things we had to do. So it's actually, it's moving at a pretty good clip. You know, I mean, wow, you're, you're, running, and you're running in less than eight minutes. You're running a mile in less than eight minutes. So for some of you, it's like, that's no problem. For some of you, you would die, okay? So it is a little challenging to, to run you know, a mile and a half, less than 12 minutes. So I'm out on the track and, and I'm the only person running. And I'm not, a, I'm not a track guy. So I'm the only person running and I have to run this, this to continue on in my minor. And there were two high school kids that were part of the track team. So I started and I, I'd run a lap. And, and if you're not pacing yourself well, if you're not going fast enough, you're not going to make it. If you're going too fast, you're not going to make it. Because then for a guy like me, I would have run out of, of what I needed to finish the, the, the test. So a couple of high school kids, they came out. They're probably sophomores, juniors in high school. And they said, hey, Jeff, we'll run with you. And I'm like, great. And you know what they did? They, they came alongside and they paced me right there by my side. They said, hey, 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 come on. You got to pick it up a little bit. Now, they didn't have a stopwatch on their wrist. They just knew the pace that needed to be run. They were alongside, in fact, on either side of me. And then they carried me. No, they didn't do that. But, 
They just ran alongside. And I get this mental picture of the Holy Spirit who says, hey, listen, I am exactly what you need right here, right when you need it. If there be any consolation in Christ. One of the unifying aspects of our assembly is the one who comes alongside every believer in the church. He's our consoling agent, empathizing with us and our needs. He's the one who is there with what you need, right when you need it. Okay, this is one of the common denominators of this consolation. And then you say, well, what else does it say? It says not only consolation, it also says comfort. If any comfort of love. Ah, this is a unique word. In fact, this is the only place in all of scripture that this Greek word used, parametheon. It's the only place in all of scripture that we find it. And it means this invigorating force. We would understand it to be this motivation. This motivation. If any comfort of love. If any motivation because of our love. Paul is saying here, because of our motivation of love, we have the highest incentive possible. We have love of, by the way, all kinds of different things. We understand that. We have love of country, love of friends, love of children. We have love of spouse and so on. It is because of our highest motivation, our love of God, that we are called to love one another there are times when it is challenging to love one another. But because of my highest motivation, my love for God in the called out assembly, Paul is saying to the church at Philippi, you have the person of the Holy Spirit. Do you know what he's going to enable you to do? That which would be impossible otherwise you're going to be able to have this motivating force of love because of your love for God. Now these are, these are real weighty and very practical thoughts when we start to think about a called out assembly. There's a lot of personalities in any given church. There are people who do certain things in certain ways that just grate against our nature, the way we would do it, the way we would like it. We, we want it ordered this way and not that way. We want it sung to this way and not that way. We, oh, we want to order so many things that are pleasing to us. But God says there's a higher motivation. You have the motivation of love. If there's any comfort of love, he goes on and he says this. He says, if any compassion, we're going we're gonna to skip over the fellowship of the Spirit. We'll be back to that momentarily. But if there's any compassion, here's what he says. He uses the expression, if any bowels and mercies. Th this is an old word. The word bowels, he'd say, this is, this is the very center of who you are. It's an old word that we might say today, if there's any heart of compassion. It means tenderness, affection. This is again what believers are to share in common. He's saying that in our assembly, it should be marked by an affection and a merciful compassion one for another. How special it is when believers long to be together. That, that there is some relief when we are once again in each other's presence. We just finished Thanksgiving and, and I know that there are some in this room that 
have longed to be with people and you weren't able to be. Sometimes we even use that expression, I I long to be with my people. You know, whenever there are special holidays, whenever there are trying times, whenever there are things that are before us, we oftentimes long to be with my people. Do you know what he's saying to the church here? He's saying, listen, church, if there be, he's saying there should be, do you have two eyes in your head? Can you see that? If there be any, he's he's saying there should be these, these yearnings inside of you to actually assemble together with the family of believers. It's like when you haven't seen that person for so long. Have you ever stood at the waiting area just outside the airport secure area? I mean, we just did this just recently. I'm standing there waiting for the family member to come. With my dog, by the way. And the dog was just as excited. Do you know what we're we're doing? We're waiting with anticipation for the person we long to see and to be again in their presence. He's saying, listen, if there be any bowels and mercies, if there is any, any compassionate heart that longs to be together, when the church has the opportunity to come together, there's some yearning to be once again in the presence of those that we call family, part of the same body. Paul uses the same expression earlier in the book of Philippians. He says in Philippians 1.8, For God is my record, how greatly I long after you, all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. He says, in the heart of compassion of Jesus himself, I long to be with you. What, What a beautiful expression for the called out assembly. These are common denominators. And what does it do? He says, well, this is going to provide this, this shared connection. This provides this shared connection. Paul says, if you know of the consolation, the comfort, the compassion that exists in the church because of the unity of the spirit, then, he says in verse number two, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. How many of you remember back in the day when you used to be able to pull up to a gas station and an attendant would come and actually, how many of you remember that day? Just out of curiosity, how many of you say, listen, I've heard of it, but I've never seen it in my day. Raise your hand. That's a lot of people. It was kind of cool, you know. You could pull up and say, um, now listen, back in that day, um, my first job was, um, I was a flower delivery boy. So I was, I was the guy that'd show up at the hospital or the funeral home or at someone's home and just deliver flowers. I made a couple bucks an hour and, and to, to put $5 of gas in my car would have been unheard of. So, you know, I might pull up and say, give me a dollar's worth and feel like I'm a big guy, you know. And so a dollar's worth, now you have to go like that and then you're, you're done with the dollar. But do you know there were times when I'd be riding with my parents and I'd hear my parents pull up and roll down the window, the gas station attendant would come and they would say, fill her up. Do you know what the apostle Paul's saying here? I'm not being disrespectful. He's saying, fill her up. Fill up my joy. 
What is it that causes the Apostle Paul to get to this place where he says, my joy is overflowing. If there be any, if these things are true, if this is characteristic of your assembly, church at Philippi, then he says, fulfill ye my joy. How's that going to happen? That ye be like-minded. It's one of the favorite words that Paul uses in the book of Philippians. It means to think. He's saying you should be thinking in the fashion that resembles the unity you have in Christ. He says the same love. You're going to be of the same mind. You have the same love. This is the same love by which you and I are loved. It's the love of the Father poured out upon our hearts that now we shed abroad to others. He says, be of one accord. This is the only place, again, that that the word is used in the New Testament. We might say it like this, of one soul. Today, we've used this expression. We've said, oh, they're kind of like a soulmate. Do do you know really what he's saying? You be of one accord. That means your souls are bound together. There is something that can't be rent. We are of one soul in this matter. And then he says of one mind. Have you ever been saying something and another person, you said, hey, I was just thinking about, and another person says, oh, I was just thinking the same thing. That's what he's saying about the church. He's saying that the church now, they sing, hey, we agree together. There's no petty division. There is no faction here and a faction here. He says, listen, fulfill me, fulfill you my joy. Let my joy overflow. Well, what would bring that? If the church is functioning in a manner that is typical of the unifying of the Spirit. Remember, there is no disunity in the Trinity. The Trinity functions, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. These three, we say, are one. So now we have this triune God. He's saying that's how the church should reflect when they're functioning in the unifying element of the Holy Spirit. Well, these are common denominators of our unity in the spirit. Let's just pause and at least address what could be some common detractors of our unity in the spirit. Some common detractors. Remember, Paul had just said, if any fellowship of the spirit, if this is characteristic of you, then these things should not be present. Why wouldn't every church be enjoying this unity of the Spirit? Shouldn't it be a required part of the assembly? Well, here's some things that I think detract. First of all, mistaking being acquainted with the Spirit as true fellowship with the Spirit. This is going to cause a problem of disunity in any assembling of what is called church. When people mistake being acquainted with the Spirit as true fellowship with the Spirit. There are those that know the Holy Spirit and there are those that know of the Holy Spirit. They may be intrigued by his power, but acquaintance with the Holy Spirit is not the same as fellowship with the Spirit. There are some examples of this throughout Scripture. Let's take a a moment to just notice one. In Acts chapter 8, Beginning in verse number 18, there was one who who knew of, but not know personally. When Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, 
the Holy Ghost was given. He offered them money saying, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, thy money perish with thee because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Do you know this matter of fellowship with the spirit, it is a heart matter. There were some that said, oh, wow, the, the power of the Holy Spirit, I want that. Give me that power. But they didn't want the person. They wanted the results, but they didn't want to rest in the one. Just knowing about someone doesn't mean that you know them. You may even know details about their life, have studied them, become very familiar with the characteristics of their lives, yet still not knowing them. When Paul uses the expression that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection. There's something that we're understanding is deeper than a mere acknowledging of his person. Paul wants to know him. He longs to know Jesus intimately, personally, increasingly. Knowing of the Holy Spirit is not the same as knowing him. The question that you could ask today is, do I know of him or do I know him? What's another one of those common detractors of our unity in the spirit? The, the next step would be mistaking being related to the spirit as true fellowship with the spirit. Mistaking being related to the spirit. I do have the spirit. I am his, he is mine. But mistaking being related to the spirit as ongoing true fellowship with the spirit. Later in the book of Philippians, chapter four, verse number two, we read about two people that are having a squabble in the church. Paul said, I beseech Euodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord, that they be like-minded, that if there be any, all right, Euodius, Syntyche, can you imagine what it would have felt like to have been in the gathering, the called out assembly of believers, and they're reading this letter from the apostle Paul. And Yodius is sitting here, Syntyche's sitting right over here. And then Paul, he's just been going on about, you know, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, you know, be careful for nothing but in everything. I beseech Yodius, and can you imagine, I mean, do you think there were some audible gasps in the assembly? <gasps> he just mentioned, we know what's going on. And Syntyche is sitting over there like, mm-hmm. I beseech Yodius, mm-hmm, and Syntyche, mm-hmm, <clears throat> I beseech Yodius and Syntyche, get it taken care of. Deal with this issue. This is so inconsistent with what's supposed to be characteristic of the church. Now, did both of these ladies know Jesus Christ? I believe so. Did both of these ladies have the Holy Spirit take up residence within them? Yes, they, I believe they did. You know, they're related then to God through the person of Jesus Christ and filled. Now they have his spirit. But it's interesting that just because they were related didn't mean they had a great relationship. You know, oftentimes you and I, we just kind of coast on the fact that, well, I'm related. I'm part of the family. I know, but just because you're related doesn't necessarily mean that the relationship is all that it's supposed to be. I've preached to, to teens for a lot of years, preached at many teen camps. And, and one of the expressions that I have often used with teenagers is, 
If you're not right with your dad and your mom, you're not right with God. I wonder if we could take that family dynamic a little bit further and say, you know, if you're not right with a member of the family of the called out assembly, then are you really fully right with God? Do you know, this assembly, the called out assembly, there are some, some things that are required that go along with what the church, when the church assembles. And one of those matters is, are things right between me and other members of this local body, this family of believers? Well, we see some common denominators of our unity in the spirit. We see some common detractors, things that, that take away from our unity in the spirit. But let's close today. Let's wrap up with some common delight of our unity in the spirit. What are some of these common delights? Well, it begins when we are born of the spirit. Do you know there's something that that is just, I don't know, joyous about the birth of a child. There's something really special about it. I mean, you, you see a person with a baby, you could be a stranger. Haven't you watched strangers in the store look at someone else's baby and just like, you know, you're just looking, you're not trying to be strange, but you're looking at another person's baby. They're in the stroller or whatever, and you're kind of walking by. And, and if the baby catches your eye, I mean, what do you do? You could be walking and like, oh, well, and you start to, you know, you just start to, to dote over this little baby and you make him faces and everything. And, and then maybe the mom or the dad looks up and you smile at them, but you don't care about them. It's the baby, okay? There's something wonderful about new life. Do you know, something happened to you. You were, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. And then... Through the wonderful grace of God, you, you were born from above. You, you were given new life. You, you are now called a son or a daughter, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You can come with boldness into the presence of the Father and call him Abba. There is some common delight that we have in the unity of the spirit. Now we are born not just of the flesh, we are born of the spirit. How many of you have ever known someone that was a Christian before you ever officially met them? You, you just knew, like you, you saw someone you, you were, I don't know, at some public place, you were in some setting, you'd never seen them before, but you sensed, I think they're a Christian. Have you ever had that experience before? And then you might have even asked them, um, hey, I'm a Christian, a follower of Christ. Are you? And they look at you and they say, yes, I am. I I'm not saying that you can, you can predict that every time. There's no little, when a person trusts Christ, there's no little halo that automatically appears over their head. But haven't you ever been around someone else and you'd say, maybe you went home and you say, I met someone at work today. Yeah, they're new. And you told your, your wife or you told your husband, I think they're a Christian. You say, how do you know? And they say, I don't know. I could just, there was something about them. I'm not saying that that is a foolproof measure of knowing someone else's salvation, but isn't it uncanny how oftentimes we already know there is some unifying element that exists between us. It's the person of the Holy Spirit. 
these common delights were born of the Spirit. When a person is born of the Spirit, they share something in common with others born of the same, something that unifies them in their nature. The Holy Spirit provides an internal unity, not just an outward uniformity. This is a very important point. We're not going to belabor it, but we will at least address it. We often fail to understand true fellowship and don't recognize the difference between the words unity and uniformity. Uniformity is the result of external pressure. Unity is the result of something from within. Did you catch that? There are two different things that oftentimes we mistake one for the other. We may go to a church and everything is exactly uniform. And we try to ascribe the word unity because of the uniformity. Now, please don't get me wrong. I'm not, um, I'm not um, begrudging uniformity. I'm not disparaging it in the least. There is a place for uniformity, but it is not the same thing as true unity. We, we understand uniformity in all kinds of ways. We, we tell children to line up in uniform fashion. We have uniforms for our sports teams, for the military, for the police, even for our repairman. All of these have value. We have robes for our choir. It is very uniform looking. The problem comes when we mistake uniformity for unity. Do you know at Campus Church, we have a lot of elements of uniformity. Again, I am not begrudging that, but do not mistake uniformity for the unity of the Spirit. Many churches begin to think that if they can get everyone to dress the same, or sing the same songs, or play the same instruments, or meet at the same time, or order services the same way, that they have achieved unity. While unity may be occurring, we could be mistaking uniformity for true unity. Notice how the Apostle John declares where true unity is found. And by the way, think through as much as what he is saying unity is, think about what he's not saying unity is. The things that he leaves absent, that sometimes were we the ones tasked with writing Scripture, we may include things that God the Holy Spirit does not. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He goes on, 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Paul had much to say about this common fellowship in the Spirit, just as John addressed it. And he addresses it, by the way, repeatedly. In Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, Paul says, There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Paul writing the church at Corinth says, For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentile, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Ah, this unifying person of the body of Christ. 
2 Corinthians 13, 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Do you know, when you were born of Jesus Christ, born from above, filled with the Holy Spirit, you got this wonderful delight. Ah, what we share in common, what is that? We are born of the same father. We are now brothers of the same son. We are all filled with the same Holy Spirit. What do we have? Common delight? Well, we're born of the Spirit and then we follow the Bible instruction regarding the Holy Spirit. It's one of those unifying delights. Now, sometimes we might think, oh, well, we have to do this. No, 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 no. Don't look at it as I have to do this. Look at it as a means of instruction so that our joy can be full. What are those instructions? Well, first he says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. Grieve not. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Grieve not. He goes on, he says, quench not the Spirit. Quench not. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, he just says it very directly. Quench not the Spirit. The word quench, it means to suppress or to stifle. That This would be a sin of omission. You know, the, the grieve not the Spirit, that would be a sin of commission. I'm doing something. The Holy Spirit said, don't do that. And we say, I'm going to do it anyways. We grieved him. To to quench the Holy Spirit, this would be the idea of he says, okay, I want you to follow my lead here. And we say, no, 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 I, I want to go my own way. Now I am resisting. This is a sin of omission. And then what does the church have the wonderful privilege to do together? And that is walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5.16, this I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. By, by the way, this is an important and it's a little of an aside, but important to say here. The idea behind walking in the spirit is not placing the burden of responsibility on the believer, but that the believer takes advantage of what the spirit is offering. He's saying, submit yourself to the Holy Spirit of God so that you can walk according to the Spirit and not according to your own flesh. When the assembly of believers understand what we have as our common denominators, we're mindful of our common detractors and appreciate our common delights, we begin to function with a unity in the assembly that can be found nowhere else. This is possible only through the unity of the spirit. I brought some some old toys with me today and and we'll close with this. I I brought some, I don't know how much you'd call them toys or not, but we play with these and, and I have them in a simple bag. And I used to play with these as a kid. I don't know if kids really play with them as much today anymore. Um, as, as they used to. And I don't know if you can see these on the screen, but it's a bag full of marbles. Now, now we used to call these, did you, how many of you ever played with marbles when you were a kid? How many of you ever lost your marbles? Okay, a few of us have, have done that. We used to call these steelies. Do you remember that? Did you call them the same thing, a steely? These were, these were metal, and, and then these were, of course, these are just marbles. And, and uh, we, we would play with marbles in the house. And you always had a... We had these bags that I don't know who made them. 
maybe a family member, but these bags with a drawstring, and we'd keep all our marbles in there and take them out and and play with the marbles. These things are interesting. I I went out to my toolbox, and and I got you know, a little magnet because, you know, if you drop a a screw or something and you're working on it, you need to extend a magnet. So this is just a little magnet. You know, if I put all the marbles in this bag, they have an external force that's unifying them. But there is something in the nature of those, what we called steelies, that unifies them in ways that an external force does not. There's something internal about them. And I already know if I put the magnet in the bag, I already know what's going to be drawn out and what will not. Do you know at times in the church, we, we kind of wonder, oh, I got two on that one right there. At times in the church, we wonder, well, well, um, you know, how do you even know who is and who is not truly saved? Do you know sometimes the things that are binding churches together are just some uniformity. But there is something in the nature of a true believer that just keeps drawing them together. And you know, if I had a powerful enough magnet today, I know what would happen. If I had a a powerful enough magnet, I think that's all of them. I don't know if there's any any others that are still in there. One more. (laughs) If I had a powerful enough magnet, I could actually join all of these together by one singular force because something in the nature of the marble is different. And I also know which ones are left here. The ones that by their very nature have nothing that is drawing them together. In fact, if I remove the force, the the unifying agent, if I were to cut a hole in the bottom of the bag, those marbles just scatter. Isn't it wonderful that the church has a unifying agent? There's something now about your nature that binds you together. And the person of the Holy Spirit is what truly makes us a called out assembly, a living body with Jesus Christ as our head and you and I as, in a sense, his hands and feet. There is a most important person in the room. And that is the person of the Holy Spirit. Campus Church, as you and I submit ourselves to him, we will find that we share a unity with one another that can be found through no other means. May we together walk in the unifying power of God the Holy Spirit and be able to say that we are truly one body in him. Father, how good you are to provision the church with all we would stand in need of, no matter the day, no matter the culture, no matter the affluence, no matter the adversity, We have what we need in the person of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, may the church today and those that make up that body, may we not negate the unifying elements that you have left for us. May we picture one body in Christ through the unifying power of your Holy Spirit. 
he truly is the most important person in the room. This we pray because of Jesus Christ. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed as our service concludes today, if there's never been a change of something internally with you, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if your nature is no different than it's always been, then you're invited to come to Jesus Christ, to come to know the one who is life itself. We do that through the simple means of calling upon him for whosoever, what a wonderful word, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. With the heart man believes unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Confession, it means God, I agree with you. I agree that I'm a sinner. I agree that Jesus is God and he died in my place. And I accept his gift of salvation. If you've never called upon Jesus to save you, why not today? I pray that you will. If you've already called upon him for salvation, you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I don't feel like I am part of the body. I can say this, it's, it's, it shouldn't be the fault of the body, but the members in particular. Lord, unite me to the body of believers through the unifying agent of the Holy Spirit. May I submit myself to him, obey him, and then find that I have been joined in a way that's unprecedented, unparalleled in the world joined together as one body in Christ. The Holy Spirit, mm, the most important person in the room, nothing can happen until he's here. But he is here. May we submit ourselves to him. 